0: Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brett continues in the sermon series called The Gift as he looks at the significant role the wise men played in the biblical Christmas story. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. We are aware that there are some audio issues in this episode, and we appreciate your understanding.
1: Oh, what a gift! Welcome, Impact Church, to worship this morning. How is everybody doing today? Amen. <laughs> All right, I hope you guys are excited to, to get in the house of the Lord here this week as we get to celebrate this week the birth of our Savior, Jesus, the real reason, the only reason for the season. So welcome to Impact Church. Uh, something, uh, I guess, great really happened in this year because you get really two Sundays around Christmas to, to celebrate more specifically. Didn't really know which one people would choose to be the, the Christmas Sunday, right? Um, Usually it's the Sunday before Christmas, but today, honestly, you can't get farther away from Christmas Day than today in one week, correct? All right, so we get to do it this Sunday and probably next Sunday. So welcome to Impact Church. If you're visiting with us today, we always say every week, welcome. And we hope that if you're not plugged in somewhere, if you're not in a a place you would call home church-wise, and you're searching and you're looking, that the Lord would lead you right here. We know God's doing an amazing work. We would love for you to be a part of it and get plugged in and serve Jesus in His work to reach this community here at Impact Church. So welcome this morning. If you're uh, looking for a place that preaches the Word and stands on it and doesn't back down and apologize for it, you're in the right place. So welcome this morning. We're continuing in our second uh, week here in a sermon series that we just started last week called The Gift. This is our Christmas uh, time sermon series, and we are looking specifically at the Christmas story, all right? And what we saw last week, specifically, if you missed it, was we looked at the shepherds. And a lot of people see these, you know, nativity scenes and on Christmas cards and whatnot, and all we see are these characters, And, and we just see them as such. We see them as just parts of a play, right, or people we can dress up like. But did you know that there's real biblical significance and life application in these people who are around the scene of Christ? And I think we saw that last week because when we looked at the shepherds, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And we saw that there was life application in the shepherds being brought to the manger. All the way down to the specific time of day which they were approached by the angel and the region, the area they were in when they were approached by the angel. So go back and check that out. So today, we're going to visit and look at another set of characters that are in the Christmas story that also have significance. We're going to look at the wise men today. And the title of today's message is Wise Men Still Seek Him. Wise Men Still Seek Him. Who were these wise men? How many were there? Did they really ride camels? Does it matter? Does it matter who they were? They were there? Is there any significance in their part of the story? Again, as we alluded to and saw last week, I think as we looked at the shepherds and found out their significance, we can definitively say that there's significance in these wise men in this story. But what is it? Where is the significance? I think we all kind of wonder as we grow up and maybe as we're older, like who these men were, all right? Because really there's no reference of them after this part of the story again. Just like the shepherds, we don't know their names. We don't know who they were. We don't know how it impacted their life. What did they go on to do afterwards? None of that's given to us. So how can we see significance in this? Most of our perceptions about these wise men specifically are only gained at a nativity scene or a Christmas card or a Christmas play. So as such, they really only become characters that we dress up like in a play. And so therefore, if that's all they are, they have no life application and biblical significance to us. But we know that's not true. So what is the significance we're going to see that today. Now, there's been speculation, even traditionally, about who these men were and whether they were kings or not and who their families were, even to what their names were. In fact, in studying the research, it seems that some people who knew who these men supposedly were went to their burial sites and dug them up and put their skeletons, their bones, their skulls, on a display in a Catholic cathedral in Europe, specifically in Cologne, Germany. No lie, you can look that up. Supposedly, they're there, all right? And and you look at it, and there's this myth around when they dug the the wise men's bones up and extracted them, that their skulls, and they got their skulls, their eyes supposedly were still in their skulls, aimed toward Jerusalem. Come on, man. If you don't have any more significance to put in that, I mean, right? That sounds like some Stephen King stuff right there. Can you imagine grabbing a dude's skull and the eyes are still in the socket? Look out! up. Come on. So we see that man-made myth and tradition is not going to bring us significance in this story. But biblically, we're going to see that these men were called to seek Jesus. You and I today are called to seek Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, each and every one of us in this place, we're all seeking something right now. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you after? Many people in our world are after love, hope, joy, peace. And they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're searching for it in the things of this world that are going to leave them empty inside and not give them what they're really looking for. But God has called us to seek and find all of that in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who came to earth to live a perfect life as a sacrifice and a ransom for the sin of all of us. And that's the only place that we're going to find what we're looking for. Thus, the title of our sermon series, The Gift, because it is what you're looking for today. So, we're going to see from this story that they were called to seek Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. There was other people around them that should have been seeking Jesus too. But they weren't. Why? And even people right there in Jerusalem, they, they weren't seeking Him. You know why? Because they were looking for a made-up Messiah in their head that was probably going to come with riches and robes and and all the the glamour that the world could give them. And so they couldn't justify how the Savior of the world would be born in a manger. And so they were looking for a made-up Messiah in their head and they missed out worshipping the real Jesus that was right there in front of them. Ladies and gentlemen, today many people are worshipping a made-up Jesus in their head who is not the truth of God's Word. And they're missing out on the real Christ who could save them and redeem them if they would surrender their life to him and seek him with all their heart. God's calling you to seek Jesus today. And here's his promise. When you seek him, you will find him. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, the reason why we're here, Father, we want to worship you today not just with our tongues, with our mouths, with our voices. Lord, we want to worship you with our hearts and our lives today. We want to surrender all to you. We want to give and seek and come to worship you. Because, Lord, you are worthy. You are holy. Lord, you are a God of all grace and mercy, Lord, but you are also a God of justice and wrath. And, Lord, we praise you for all of who you are. And, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son, who for those who put their faith and trust in Him and who come to You in a repentant heart and surrender our lives to You, do not have to suffer the wrath of sin because it was already poured out on Jesus. So Lord, we thank You for Your gift of life today. Lord, I pray now as we dig into Your Word and and we look at the significance around the Christmas story and the people that You brought into this story, Lord, may we see and hear from You And may we have life application when we leave here today to know that these are more than just characters in a nativity scene. These are people you brought in to teach us something so that we could apply it to our own lives and seek you with all our hearts. So come, speak, and do what only you can do. You get all the glory, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we go. If you have a copy of God's Word with you or you just have it on your phone or tablet, turn to Matthew chapter 2, the only part of the gospel where you're going to see this talked about as far as the wise men in this star. So let's look at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 today. And the Word of God says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "'Go and search carefully for the young child. "'And when you have found him, bring back word to me "'that I may come and worship him also. "'When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, "'the star which they had seen in the east went before them "'till it came and stood over where the young child was. "'When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy.' And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Lot in there that we're going to look at that the Lord has shown me and taught me this week, and I can't wait to share it with you just like I did about the shepherds last week. So, here we go. So, first and foremost, it's always assumed in tradition that there were three wise men, mostly because there were three gifts that were presented there. We don't know that that's definitively the case. It could have been, or there could have been more. The Bible doesn't say how many there were. Okay, so. We don't know. Tradition says there were three, and they say that their names were Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Okay? That's a mouthful. All right? Supposedly, those were the three wise men's names. I don't know if you ever knew that or not. Supposedly, and that's these cats that you can go see at the cathedral in Germany if you want to, I guess. All right? All right, but anyway... Whether tradition is accurate or not, who knows? The Bible, the Bible doesn't give their names or definitively give a number, all right? It's also another common misconception in tradition around a manger and uh, nativity scenes that we see is that the wise men visited Jesus at the manger, at the stable, at the night of his birth. And we can see from this passage that that definitely is not true, all right? I don't know if you caught it or not, but in this passage it says they went and, and saw him at the house, okay? So... Here's the truth of it, is these wise men were here at least days, if not months, and even if not a year or a little more after the birth of Christ, all right? So they didn't make the manger scene like the nativity scenes want to give. So we know we cannot gain tradition or gain gain significance, rather, from the tradition of men on this story, amen? So we need to look deeper into the Bible and see what the application is for our lives with these men. All right? First one that we're going to bring up, because we're going to get four today. We're going to get four biblically significant life applications learned from the wise men. All right? Four biblically significant life applications learned from the wise men. They're all going to start with R if you're taking notes. It'll be easy to start with. Number one is read, believe, and put full trust in God's Word even when others do not. I'm going to say it again. Read— believe, and put full trust in God's Word even when others do not. And somebody's going to be like, hold up. How in the world did you get that point out of that passage? Let's dig, okay? Because it's there in God's Word. So let's look at who these wise men were. If you look at the Greek word for wise men, it's the word magos, all right? Which translated simply into wise men or magi, all right? It's where we get the word magician. All right? Back in uh, the Hebrew, you'll see that word magician a lot through the Old Testament. It's speaking about these wise men. All right? It's actually a poor English translation back to a magician because it's not like a magician like we think of today that pulls a rabbit out of a hat. Okay? These were astrologers and and fortune tellers and, and the like. Okay? So they were of a priestly tribe of people among the Medes. They were skilled in astronomy and astrology. And we know astronomy is the science of the study of stars in space. And we know that astrology, all right, is the, the voodoo stuff around the stars and stuff in space. That somehow the, these stars and everything line up and, and tell you who you are and, and, and what you're going to be doing in life. And all this stuff that's going to happen. Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, and they were significant in all of them. They had political significance as well as power within these governments because of their priesthood, because of their, again, astrology and astronomy knowledge, and really their occultic-type wisdom, all right, that they had gained from this. So these were the, the people that the kings and the leaders, if you recall through all the Old Testament, would call upon if they needed to know something or if they needed a dream interpreted. All right? You with me? So here's these wise men. Now you get a little bit of picture of who they are. Okay, see how the Word of God's gonna start to make sense? So let's look back specifically, then how do we get this point about read, believe, and put full trust in God's Word even when others do not? When Brad, you just said these people are all jacked up in the head and believe in the stars telling them stuff. These magi, these wise men, at least some of them, became aware of Old Testament scripture, prophecy, and the Messiah because of Daniel. You can go back and read those stories. We don't have all the time to do that here. You can go back to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 5. And I want to define and really pull out this definitive influence that the Bible says Daniel had on these people because it's in Daniel chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. And we know that at this point in time, Nebuchadnezzar's off the scene. Now this evil king Belshazzar is here, okay? And he's an evil king with an evil heart. And uh, old king man must have been hitting the chronic or tipping the bottle back too much one night. And he sees a hand and some fingers right on the wall, right? Ultimately, we know that was God and his divine prophecy saying what was about to happen to this dude. So what he did, all right, he got all kind of scared and he calls for the wise men. You can read that in chapter 5 of Daniel. He called for the, all these wise men to come together. And he named them the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. Soothsayers, a fortune teller, okay? So all these were the wise men. And he said, whoever can tell me what this junk on this wall means, I'm going to give you some purple and gold bling and stuff. and I'm going to put you third in charge, right? Okay, so there's the story in like a 20th century Brad version, okay? As we're kind of putting this all together quick. Y'all can go back and read the story, okay? But what happens here is, Nobody could do it. He said, my wise men can't interpret it. So who, as we get down through that passage, do they call on? The queen points out, says, you know, these dudes can't do it, but there's somebody in here who has the spirit of the holy God, and he is chief of these dudes. And he can tell you. And so he comes in, and we know the story, and he interprets the dream. It comes to pass, um, Belshazzar rather dies, okay? And then Darius gets put in place, and off to chapter 6 we go with Daniel in the lion's den. So we see the influence that he had. He was chief of the wise men. You know he had godly influence on him. Even the queen called upon him, knew he had the spirit of the holy God in him, and called him to interpret what the wisdom of man could not. That's a Jesus story right there. It's beautiful when you see this played out. So we know now, definitively, Daniel, back in Babylonian Empire times, had influence over this priestly group of magi known as wise men. But he was different because he was not looking at astrology or astronomy. He was filled with the Spirit of God, the one and only true God. You know his influence was so strong that even if you fast forward to chapter 6 that as daniel was being thrown into the lion den, lion's den darius even said daniel what'd he say says i know your god will deliver you do you remember that you tell me that brother didn't have some influence even the kings knew who daniel served and had faith and trust in so now we see this salt and light man placed in a godless culture with influence of the Bible and the Messiah that was prophesied to come. So now you can see, fast forward 600 years, you can see God back then setting up Matthew chapter 2. Can't you? Where now, yes, these weren't these specific wise men from 600 years ago they didn't live that long like okay so but what got passed down through the generations that some of these wise men retained the faith and and followed daniel's ways followed the ways of god's word and then had this influence now and we know probably over that time some of them drifted toward other religions because as persia came in and and overtook Babylon and you got the Cyrus the king of Persia and and there was a, a religion called Zoroastrianism that come in which was like a basically a counterfeit Christianity. All right that, that didn't believe in the deity of Christ and then some of them probably drifted back toward astrology and astronomy as their lead and some of them. Stuck with Daniel and God's Word and passed it down to the generations. So now we come to Matthew chapter 2 where some wise men knew the scripture. They had faith and trust that God is who he said he is and that the Messiah was to come. So when the star lit up, they knew what that was from prophecy and they sought him. It was God calling them to seek him. I want you to think about that. So these wise men that showed at the manger were part of a remnant of a godless culture who were influenced by somebody standing up for God, and they were seeking the Messiah. I not you to think about that for just a minute. God cared enough about some wise men to send Daniel into a godless culture to stand for Christ, so that they could see the truth. Who has God placed in your life along the way to show you the truth of who Jesus is? Have you rejected it and turned for the things of this world? Or has that sparked something in you? To say, you know, that person had something different in their life that I really want. I want to know what it is. And have you sought after that? God's going to great lengths, I promise you, to reach you. God's going to great lengths to put people in your path, to put people in your life, to bring you to church. Maybe you're here today because somebody invited you. I don't know. But God is going to great lengths to reach you and ask you to seek Him. So are you following Him? Are you searching after the one and only true God? Or are you searching after a false God that's maybe made up in your heart or mind that you've listened to from the culture and society that has nothing to do with the true God of the Bible and who Jesus really is? Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. With faith, it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And anybody who comes to him, you must believe that he really is, that there's not another way. And that he's a rewarder when you diligently seek him. We have some example of some wise men that did just that. Thank God that Daniel and the influence of God in a godless culture, we had some men that believed in God, trusted in who he was, sought him, and God rewarded them Because they, they found what they were looking for. Today, if you seek God with all your heart, you're going to find what you're looking for. Number two, our second point brought out through these wise men. Relentlessly seek after Jesus no matter what, even when others do not. Relentlessly seek after Jesus no matter what, even when others do not. The text here implies that this star that we so often called the Star of Bethlehem, which is just really called his star in this passage, all right, is and only appears, it seems, to the Magi, all right, to these wise men, and nobody else really sees it. Most likely, they said they saw this in the east. They were in the area of Persia, somewhere around modern-day Iran, okay? It's probably the vicinity that they're in. So what was exactly this Star of Bethlehem? This Greek word translated stars, the word aster, which is normally meaning an actual star or a celestial body in space, okay? So we know definitively, whatever it was, something brighter than normal showed up in the sky and let them know that it was time to go see the Messiah, okay? Some would say that, well, it probably wasn't a celestial body because a true actual star doesn't move, correct? All right? Because we see later in the story that once they left Herod that the star moved and landed over the place where Jesus was. So stars don't move. Okay, Yes, it moves in the sky, but it's usually an east to west kind of orientation because of the rotation of the earth. Here, they had to go from Jerusalem south to Bethlehem, okay? So different direction is what a celestial star would do. So many would think, okay, well, this probably wasn't a star. It was probably some uh, light from an angel leading the way, or it was Shekinah glory itself. It was the very presence of the visible presence of the Lord, similar to what led the Israelites, okay, with the pillar of fire and such. Whatever it was, this is what we can definitively say because I don't know that that really matters exactly what it was. What does matter is this. God was calling them to go seek Jesus. That's what matters. God had come to them to reveal that it was time to seek the Lord. And I think of the verse John six forty four says this. says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him the wise men couldn't even seek jesus on their own god led them to him i want you to think about that your salvation today you cannot save yourself you cannot come to jesus on your own the spirit of god has to call you has to pluck at your heart you know that little kind of fluttery feeling you get during a message when god's words presented or when something happens that's the Spirit of God speaking to you that's him drawing you and then inside of that he gives us grace to have our free will to receive him or to reject him God doesn't draw you to him kicking and screaming if you want to go the other way God doesn't push you out if you really want to come to him and surrender your life to him okay He calls you, and in that grace, gives you the free will to then receive him or reject him. But make no mistake, no one comes unless the Spirit of God calls. So here's the Spirit of God calling these wise men through this star, come seek me. You will find me. It's a beautiful truth of Scripture brought in through this story of the wise men. All right? So again, there's no biblical record of anyone else seeing this star, and these... Wise men traveled almost some 1,000 miles to get there. I want you to think about that. That's a long trip, right? So probably with that type of trip, they were on some camels. I don't know. Okay? Does it matter? That probably doesn't matter. All right? But we see they come into Jerusalem, and what do they start to do? They saw the star in the east, and they traveled. All right? So whether the star led them right there and then kind of disappeared or whatever happened, I don't know. But they went to Jerusalem, what did they start to do? Because obviously the star wasn't quite over where Jesus was yet. They asked everybody, hey, where's this Messiah? I heard he was born, where's he at? They probably thought they were gonna be met with the same excitement. Yeah, man, he's born over here. Come on, you gotta see him, you're late, dude. He's like a year old, right? (laughs) They were like, I don't know. These were the people of Jesus' own town. They weren't even seeking him. They didn't care. The wise men were excited. They wanted to see him. They, they had heard the scriptures. They knew the prophecy that the Messiah was here. And they were so excited to come. And they come to his own town and they were greeted with disgust. And the buzz started. And, and so King Herod got word that these dudes were in town looking for the king of the Jews, the Messiah. And it disturbed all of them, the Bible says. you think about that they weren't seeking Jesus and he was right in front of them how many people in our society today aren't seeking Jesus and the truth of who he is and what he wants to do in their life is right there in front of them but they get disgusted when you talk about it and they get upset and that's what King Herod did so he brought him in and tried to figure out for himself where they were said hey go find him and tell me where he's at i want to worship him myself (laughs) really he doesn't want to worship and he wants to kill him because we saw he made the decree to kill everybody two years old and younger after that right so they look for him they're searching but nobody knows where he's at but they still in their heart didn't want to give up. So they walked away from Herod, and then what does the Bible say happened? What showed back up? The star. I want you to think about that for just a minute. These men come a thousand miles, they're searching, they're excited, and they're they're greeted with these people who don't meet the same excitement and be like, ah, essentially it doesn't matter. Wouldn't it have been easy for their search? Wouldn't it have been easy for their heart of of enthusiasm and zealousness toward Christ to grown cold right there? Be like, well, man, if they ain't excited about it, I guess it ain't real. I guess it ain't here. How many times... Do we get excited with the Word of God? Maybe we heard the message. Maybe we know God's calling us, and we get excited about it. And then we go out into this world. We go out to work. We go into our school. We go into our our ball fields with our teammates. And we're not met with the same enthusiasm about Jesus. And they smirk, and they laugh, and they get disgusted. And we lose our zealousness for Jesus. How many times does that happen? That could have happened to them but they set out searching again, so God showed up again. I want to let you know today, you may not be met with the same zealousness by the culture, because you won't be, that you have for Christ. But don't let your love and your search grow cold. You keep seeking, and the promise of God is Matthew. 7 verses 7 through 8 says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened there's a promise so when these wise men left Herod the star showed back up God may have been silent for a little bit there was no star how many times does it seem like God was silent in your life did you leave, did you doubt, or did you keep pressing on? Because God's promises, whatever he started in you, he's gonna finish until the day of Christ Jesus. What he started in these wise men, he finished, and he led them to the place where the Savior was. You know, something else that this star really reminds us of that we kind of just cruise over in this Christmas story is Jesus's birth wasn't announced to somebody that would be most likely for it to be announced to. Last week, we talked about that with the shepherds. Said, man, wouldn't, wouldn't you go to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the people who studied the scriptures? No, he went to a group of shepherds out in the field to announce the birth of the Savior of the world after some 400 years of silence from Old Testament to New Testament. We're going to go to some shepherds. Doesn't make a lot of sense. So here, almost the same situation. The birth of Jesus and and the call for somebody to seek him was sent to a group, group, that's usually pagan. That's worldly, that searches the stars for answers. But God knew within this group of Gentiles, if you will, that there was a remnant that were seeking him. So it shows us that the birth of Christ, that salvation is not just for the religious. It's not just for the ones of Jerusalem who were already there in church, going to the temple, reading the scriptures. Because you know what? They were being very religious, which is great, but they didn't have a relationship. They weren't seeking God. And he was right in front of them, and they wouldn't surrender to who he is. Why? Because we alluded to it at the beginning. They had a made-up Jesus in their mind of who he was, so they couldn't surrender to something else. Because they had a different Christ in their head that was false. So many people today don't surrender to the totality of who Jesus is because they have a a false Jesus made up in their head that is going to just accept their sin. That he's all so much love and grace and mercy that there's no way he could be mad at my sin. And so when you preach the Bible, they run from it. They're like, what are you talking about? I have to, to, to repent and be sanctified, and, and, and it's, it's God's will that I be sanctified. What are you talking about? I want to have my sin in Jesus too. And they have a made-up Jesus in their head, so they can't surrender to the real one. And they're going for a place called hell while they go to church every Sunday. With all the lights and smoke and singing with all their heart they think but Jesus said the praise of me is on their lips but their hearts far from me and there's so many people that are gonna hear depart from me for I never knew you there was a group a large group in Jerusalem at this day that weren't seeking him and it took some Gentiles from far off a group of people who usually you wouldn't think would be the ones to seek him and they're the ones that came I want to tell you today there's a lot of people in the church the 21st century American church today that at the call, at the trumpet, at the last breath of their life, they're gonna hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And I wanna tell you today, there's a lot of people that are living out in the streets, that are in prison and everywhere else, they're gonna hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant because they accepted Jesus and they put full trust and faith in them real life where they had messed things up and they surrendered their life to a holy God because they wanted a relationship and they weren't caught up in a religion. move on to number three because the star reminds us of so much that it's not about a religion it's about so much more number three life application lesson from the wise men is reverence and worship christ with your possessions and life even when others don't do not reverence and worship christ with your possessions in life, even when others do not. Anybody caught yet that every one of these have e- when even others do not? You see, these wise men are stepping out, and it's not popular. It's not popular from where they came from back in the east. It's not popular in Jerusalem where they're at. But they're doing it anyway. Anyway. So they looked, we know, at this moment spiritually. Why? Because when they got to this room in Bethlehem, the Bible says they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They came. They gave their life. They gave their time to come and seek Jesus. And when they found him, they gave all to him and worshipped and bowed down in reverence of who he was. Even as a baby, they understood that he was just more than a person. He was more than a king. He was God in the flesh. They knew. And that's why they worshiped, even though the people of Jerusalem around them were not as excited. And they were blinded in their unbelief. Love the truth of this that John 1, 11 says. It says, he came unto his own, and his own did what? Received him not. Whew. It's right there. The Jewish people who should have been looking for the Messiah and he was right there cared nothing about him. They weren't looking. They didn't seek him. They didn't care about him. They weren't bothered to come see him, to worship him. But here some strangers from a distant land knew the truth and came. And then the Bible says it gave three gifts. What were these gifts? All right? These gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, although just very plainly explained here what they were, we know biblically when you go back, you can see significance around these gifts. First of all, it gives us the message that not only do we worship and serve Jesus with our life, with our time, but we serve him with what he's given us, our possessions, our wealth, our tithe, our offering, our support of God's ministry to see the gospel go forth. When we know we're in a Bible-believing, preaching church, and the word of God's going forth, we should want to give to that with our life, by serving, and with our money to support what God's doing. Here, they give actual gifts, all right? Gold, what's the significance of that? A symbol of divinity. We know, of course, even in pagan society, when they made a, a false god, image, they made it oftentimes of Gold. All right. We know that even the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid in gold. So this gift of gold to Christ was symbolic of his divinity, that he was God in the flesh. The frankincense, a white resin or kind of gummy substance, is obtained from a tree, By making incisions or cuts in the bark which then allows it to flow out kind of like you would sap in a pine tree okay if you can imagine that and it was highly fragrant especially when it was burned and therefore it was often used in worship where it was burned as a pleasant offering to God so this frankincense is a symbol of his holiness and righteousness and his worthiness to be praised as an offering the gift of frankincense to Christ was a symbolic of his willingness to be a sacrifice, that he would go to the cross and give himself up as an offering for many. The myrrh, another product of Arabia that was also come from a tree in the same way, was a spice that was often used for embalming, okay? It was also a lot of times intermingled with drink and wine to to, to form a, a drink. And we know that symbolic that Christ said he was about to pour himself out as a what? A drink offering for many, right? Not only that, but this myrrh was mixed. If you look in Matthew chapter 27, 34, that it was mixed with the vinegar, the sour wine, okay? That Jesus was given on the cross that when he tasted it, he didn't drink of it. It was sour. So we know that this Myrrh then represented this bitterness, this suffering and affliction, knowing that Jesus would greatly suffer as a man. His body would be broken, his blood would be shed, and he would die on the cross as a ransom for many. It's beautiful, isn't it? They're more than just three dudes at a nativity scene. Let's get number four, our last one as we close. Number four. Resolve to obey God and not man, even when others do not. Resolve to obey God and not man, even when others do not. If you see in verse 12 of our passage, where it says that they were moved divinely by God in a dream to not go back to Herod, but to go back to their own country another route. What did they just do? by doing that? Who did they disobey? The king. What'd the king tell them? Go find out where he is and come back and tell me. That was a command. It ain't like today where you can just kinda, ah, I don't care what the governor says. I ain't gonna You do that back then, you do what? Die. You ain't gonna live no more right so what they did was disobey man and obey who god see the application there when it comes down to the biblical reference we obey god rather than man 100 percent all the time especially if man's rules go against god's that's the message in this so they heard from the lord in a dream they obeyed God, not the king. It could have cost them their life. Also, what they just did, was it popular to obey God? It was popular to obey the king. That's who everybody was obeying in Jerusalem. We weren't searching for, for God. We weren't searching for the Messiah. We weren't hearing from God himself. They, you know they weren't because they weren't even seeking him. They were just caught up in their customs. So it wasn't popular to do what they did. But they sought to please God and not man. They said, I'd rather offend the king than offend God. Do you have that in your heart where you would rather offend man than offend God? Or do you give in to the culture? We just went through 16 weeks of that. Do you sway your beliefs and your stance on God's Word so that you can get applause? So that you can be included with the culture in the times that are drifting away from God? Or you, do you resolve in your heart to stand with God and the truth of His Word? The wise men did. Romans 3, 3-4 says, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. That was the stance that these wise men had. Because they've been influenced, even inside of a godless culture back home in the east, by a man named Daniel some 600 years before the birth of christ who decided to be salt and light and resolve in his heart to stand for god and the truth of his word and i wonder what god can do through you and me if we resolve in our heart to stand who would we move some years down the road maybe even after we're dead and gone if the lord lets this world continue like it is i don't know but who could we influence years down the road because of our stand today? God is calling you to seek him. Whether it's for first time salvation or whether it's for rededication today. To refine your hope, return to your first love. And it's time to make a stand for Him even inside of a godless culture, to seek Him with all our heart and give to Him. I want to close completely with a passage out of Jeremiah that I know. We're also familiar with this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's posted in a lot of places. People put it on their walls. They they put it on Facebook posts. They put it on pictures on their wall. And in the NIV, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And I'm going to be honest right now, 90% of the people take that verse out of context. They think that verse means when they say prosper, oh, God's going to make me rich, baby. Oh, God's going to give everything to me. It's all going to be like a playground around here because I'm in Jesus. Give me the blessings, Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. Can I give you some context for the verse so you don't take it out of context anymore? The prophet Jeremiah here is writing a letter. He's writing a letter to the people in captivity in Babylon. The people who had been taken out of Jerusalem and were now in a godless culture because of their sin. God turned them over and they were in captivity. So here's God's word to them saying, all right, I guarantee you it ain't about making them rich. Let's read it in the New King James Version. I think it gives a little better translation to what this verse 11 means specifically says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Boy, that's different. To give you a future and a hope. Let's keep reading so we'll get the context. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will, bring, I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. That has nothing to do with riches that has God's promises I haven't turned my back on you if you will turn back to me if you will seek me if you will pray to me got it and seek me with all your heart then you'll find me and then I'll bring you back and I'll restore you I'll renew you I'll rebuild you I'll put you back in the rightful place that you're supposed to be seeking me that's the plans I have for you it's not to get a dollar Shame on us for taking God's word out of context. He's calling to his people who had fallen into sin, saying that I will renew and restore and redeem you if you seek you. Maybe there's somebody here today and you need to hear that word today. Maybe you've drifted, maybe you've ran, maybe you feel like you're in the captivity of sin in the world and Satan's got his grips on you and your family and you need to run back to Jesus today and I promise you he's gonna hear you. If you have a repentant heart and you come, and you fall on your knees and you cry holy to Him, He's going to renew and restore you. He's going to set you free from where you've been captive. That's the truth of Jeremiah 29 11. When you seek Him, you'll find God wants you to return today. Maybe you need to come for the first time. Or maybe you need to return and rebuild. That's the name of our next sermon series after New Year's, by the way, as we go through Ezra. So, bringing in and landing this plane on the wise men. We need to read, believe, and put full trust in God's word, even when others do not. We need to relentlessly seek after Jesus, even when others do not. We need to reverence and worship Christ with our possessions and our life, even when others do not. And we need to resolve to obey God and not man, even when others do not there's the significance of the wise men God's call to us today his wise men still seek him God's calling you to seek him will you answer the call let's bow our head and close our eyes today and I want to know right now if there's anybody in this place like we talked about earlier God's been tugging at your heart springs no one comes to the father Jesus said unless he sends me. No one finds me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me calls them. God's calling you today to seek and find what you're looking for. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, I want you to do that today. I mean, if you've never fully surrendered, maybe you prayed a prayer one day and maybe you've been in and out of church and you know that Jesus is God. I'm not talking about that, that's head knowledge. Even the demons believe that he's God and they shudder at the sound of his name. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm asking you, have you fully surrendered your heart to God? Fully surrendered your life, your will to God's will? Have you repented of your sin? Repentance is different than remorse. Remorse is just, I'm sorry. But as we know, even from human behavior in our world, if somebody's not truly repentant, their behavior doesn't change. They're just sorry for what they did and then they'll do it again. If you're repentant today, that means you've come before a holy God that means the spirit of God now is going to come inside you and change you. And he is going to do the work of changing your behavior. Have you experienced that in your life? It doesn't mean you're perfect. You will never will be perfect. But it means that progressively, day by day, there's been a difference in your life toward Christ. Have you seen that? If you haven't, will you surrender to him today? God's calling you to seek him, to truly seek him. Not a fake Jesus made up in the culture or in the minds of man, but in the real Christ and God of the Bible. Have you surrendered to him? Do it today. I'm going to lead you through a prayer from, that I want you to say from your heart to God's heart and just completely realize that the words don't save you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, with your heart that you're justified. Will you surrender your heart to him today? Or if you're out there and you say, Brad, I've accepted Christ earlier in my life and I've walked with him, man. And I was on fire for the Lord at one time, but, but lately, man, my, my, my love, my, my walk has grown cold. It's grown stale. And I don't need to come running back. I need to return to him today. Like that passage in Jeremiah 29 that you read, that, man, I feel like that I've been brought off into captivity and I want to come running back today. I want the Lord to rebuild and renew me through his spirit right now. And I'm going to rededicate my life. If that's you, I want you to pray this same prayer from your heart to God's heart right now. Let's get it right today. No greater gift you'll be given this Christmas than the true salvation and the power of Christ in your heart. Do it right now. The first time or to rededicate to say, "Dear God, I love you, and I'm coming to you right now with a repentant heart, and I'm admitting to you that I'm a sinner, I've fallen short of your glory, and I'm in need of you, my Savior. Lord, thank you for sending your Son Jesus, the gift to die on the cross to break his body, to shed his blood, that I could have forgiveness of my sin, that I can be renewed and restored and redeemed and rebuilt. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he was God, he was God in the flesh. And Lord, I wanna claim that same victory right now in my life because I need it. My family needs it. So Lord, I pray that you would use me. My commitment to you right now is that I'm giving you all of me. With every step I take and every breath I make from this day forward, I wanna be used for your glory as I seek you with all my heart, amen. If that's you, you prayed that prayer, you meant business with God to receive Him for the first time or rededicate your life to him, would you boldly right now with every head bowed, every eye still closed, would you boldly right now forget the person around beside you for just a moment would you make a stand for Jesus today in this moment and if you committed your life to him for the first time or rededicated boldly not ashamed raise your hand just say Brad I prayed that prayer I meant business with God today he's tugging at my heart my life I see the hands if I don't doesn't matter God does amen oh God how we need you can we give him a big round of applause today for the truth of his word and what he does in our hearts and lives every week here as his truth is presented so I hope today you learned something I hope today you learned some great life applications from the story of some wise men that they're not just three cats at the manger because they weren't there to start with <laughs> that there was significance in who they are and where they were even significance in the fact that they were asking around where's Jesus where is he at nobody around them cared which might even be evidence that maybe there was some more around there That probably there was a woman with them because somebody asked them to stop and get directions and all the ladies in the house said it's a little humor to take off for your Christmas there right but guys let's take the truth of God's word and let's apply it this week let's seek him with all our heart let's do what the Bible called us to do and be who God calls us to be take it be salt and light like Daniel was, make an impact for Jesus, grab somebody, grab a bunch of people, invite them to Impact Church next Sunday, all right? It's not the day to sleep in after Christmas. It's the day to get in God's house and worship Him. Bring everybody you know. See you next Sunday.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.